In Colossians chapter 3, I'll be reading verses 1 through 17. This is God's word. It is for us, so listen carefully, please. If then you have been raised with, up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man. But in Christ is all and in all. Excuse me, but Christ is all and in all. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to our God, to God the Father. Let's pray. Father, sanctify your word now to us. Give us ears that truly hear and hearts that respond with amen and obedience. Lord, sanctify us through your word and glorify our Lord Jesus Christ, for we ask in his name, amen. You may be seated. I'm thankful to be with you this morning. Uh, let me just say, since I didn't do any announcements, probably most of you really like the 23rd Psalm. Come back tonight, because there are some really interesting implications which we gloss over when we read it and we don't think about it. But it, it really follows well on. In fact, it will challenge you to claim that Psalm as one of your favorites if you really think about the implications of it. Now, this morning, you know, we, 
it's an interesting time in which we live. We've just gone through Easter, which celebrates and reflects upon the passion and the death and rising of our Lord. And the question that should come from that as we look at our culture, our society, is, well, what does Christ crucified and risen look like in me? It is ironic that on a day that we memorialize and honor mothers, that so many in this country are doing just the opposite in their protest and their desire to uh, hang on to the ability to destroy children. And what I'm going to preach this morning will address how we respond to that, but I won't be political. Um, And what I'm going to preach this morning will help you if you listen to honor your mothers too. Although I won't address that directly. It'll be indirect and we'll come to it. We've experienced a lot in these last three years. The riots, disease, isolation. Sometimes we found Christians who just cut people off. And, and, and divisions in the church over issues like the wearing of masks and, and just all of these things. We've seen a, what I would call a dystopian rebellion around our nation. An absurd war that is going on now. And, and then there's all of these pressures of wokeness and uh, critical race theory. And how do we respond in this? How do we what do we look like? What is the message that we carried? I suspected my brother of reading my notes as he offered that pastoral prayer this morning, because I'm going to answer some of those things. What you understand, though, this is springtime. Some of you have planted seed, and you expect to come up the plant that's going to bear the fruit of what you've planted. And just so, that seed that has been planted in us, the Lord Jesus Christ, That's going to bear fruit if indeed we are in him. I had an experience early in my Christian walk. I've been a Christian about a year. I was out here, not far from here, up at Arrowhead Springs with Campus Crusade. And that summer, it was was over 50 years ago, they decided that all of the thousand or so students that were there were going to go into Watson South Compton along with the neighboring churches. And, you know, this was just a year or two right after the riots. And we were going in with the churches in those communities, and we were going door-to-door doing surveys. Now, you think about this. A very white, southern college student going into those neighborhoods. I had a really good deacon from a local storefront church. A little charismatic, but he was good. He took good care of me. But he said, you take this side of the street, I'll take that side. I thought, great. Well, I go up on this little um, little house. I had a porch. I had a screen door on the front. And I'm just focusing, and I knock on that door, nothing. I knock again, and then I hear this sort of angry voice off to the side. What do you want? And I looked, and here was this woman, probably in her 80s, sitting on the porch. I hadn't even noticed her, one mistake. 
And I told her, well, we're here, we're doing this. And her response was, I have no use for Whitey's religion. Now, that scared me, but it didn't stop me. And as I talked, I found that she did have an admiration for Billy Graham. And as we talked, we found that we had Christ in common. And we prayed together. But I'll tell you what, that's always come back to me. Do the people around you and I have any use for our religion because they see us? That woman in all of her 80 years had not seen one person in her relationships that would compel her to want to investigate or look at what we believe. Colossians chapter 3 answers this. It describes what our lives should look like. Chapters 1 and 2 talk about who we are in that person and the work of Jesus Christ. Paul counters some of the false teachers that were going about at that time, and and he makes some very cutting or very decisive points against them. But he talks about our identity as being in Christ and with Christ. And, you know, here's, here's a conclusion we can come to on that. God should not be the only one that sees us in Christ, if we are in Christ. Those around us should see at least Christ in us. There should be something there. Think about what, how Jesus prayed in John 17. As he was praying for his disciples, he said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, his disciples, but for the, those also who believe in me through their word, that's you and I that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, and here it is, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Do people believe that God the Father sent the Son because of the unity you have in this church, the love that you have not only for one another, but for those around you, this is part of our purpose, part of our calling. As you look at Colossians 2, and you have to go back and do some homework and read those and think about it, he belabors this point that since we are in Christ, we should be living as those who are in him. It's similar to the point that Paul makes in Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Now, all of you know this. You are well-educated. You know Galatians 2.20. But do you really get it? Is, Is that an operational thing for you each day? Is that how you are living now? So I've got three points to make it easy for you, for those who take notes this morning. Raised up with, raised up from, and raised up to. But as I get into that, 
I think there's an important question that should precede this. And there's two parts to the answer. You need to ask yourself, how do I know if I am a Christian? You need to be asking yourself that. It is not unreasonable sometimes to, to question, do I really believe? Well, have you seen the bumper sticker that says, got milk? And it's got a little white mustache on somebody. Got repentance? Repentance is the gift of God. If you have a true repentance, a sincere repentance, where you hate your sin, you turn from it, and honestly, you may be turning from it every day. That's the way we are sometimes. But you turn from it, you hate it because you love God and it offends God. Just read Psalm 51. You get a sense of what I'm talking about there. There's that. And then the second thing is, do you love Jesus Christ? I'm not saying, do you love him enough? If you feel like you love him enough, you probably don't even love him. But do you love him? Do you remember Jesus asked Peter this three times? Do you love me? And Peter said, yes, I, I do. You know I do. He said, feed my sheep three times. In John 15, Jesus says, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. So do you have repentance? Is there true repentance in your heart? And it's something that's not just 40 years ago. And do you love Jesus? Not well, perhaps. Not perfectly, but that's good. At least you're aware that you fall short, but you love him and that's what you're aimed at. That is an assurance that the Holy Spirit gives us that we're his. Okay, with that said, and you'll have that if you were raised up with Christ. If you have been, he says, if you've been raised with Christ, he moves from the indicative, what we are, the first two chapters, going to the imperative. In a sense, what is, does. You understand? It's not a matter of what is, is. But if we are in Christ, then here's the result. Here's the consequence, the fruit. He says that we are raised up from a slavery. Um, you understand that as a, a slave, being a slave to sin. We understand being a slave sometimes to our passions. Sometimes you see a chocolate and you just can't let it go. A slave to our desires. I mean, that's maybe a very small thing unless you're a diabetic. But a slave to our desires, a slave to our dreams, sometimes a slave to others' approval. Not God's, others. But we find ourselves in a, an enslavement. But Paul says that we, where we were once dead in our sins and trespasses, in Christ, we have been raised up with him. We are with him. And our position in Christ warrants how we live. Now, you, you understand what I mean by warrant. It gives you the authority and the ability to do what God has called you to do. To be holy, ye servants of God. You can do this because you're in Christ. Do you know how you and I can participate in the death of Christ? Here and now? 
It is to live in him in a world that doesn't know him. Having died to our sin and living unto him. This is how we participate. By the life that we live now, we manifest, we show the power of the risen Savior in our lives. Because we're in him. He goes, he has the imperative for you there. He says, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of the Father. When he says that he is seated, what you understand by that is that the work that he came to do is finished. It is done. And he is sitting on the throne, reigning now. We're with him. We're in him. There's nothing that you and I can do to complete the holiness We can't add anything to his work. We live it. We are to be it, if you will. But because of our position, because of our placement in him, then we strive, we press on to seek him more. I think what I'm trying to express, you see in Philippians 3, The Apostle Paul, who if anybody should have had it, describes it for at least me. He says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. That'd be a good thing. There's a good sermon right there. Are you seeking to take hold of that which God has taken hold of you for? That upward calling, he goes on and he says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And you see, if that's where our heads are, then we're no longer going to be captive to our sins, slaves to our sins. He says in verse 2, set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. May I ask, do you daydream? As you get older, you don't daydream. Well, you, you probably do dream some, but I remember being in junior high school and half my time in classes, the boring ones, I was daydreaming. Uh, But we don't do that. We set our minds on the things of God. I think I've mentioned to you before one of Sinclair Ferguson's uh, questions, which I love. It's worth remembering. What do you think about when you have nothing else to think about? Is it the things of God? This is where our minds should be set. In fact, we are to take every thought captive unto our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's an action, that's a way that we show our love of him. We direct our thoughts to him. Our interest, our identity in Christ results in a life that shows him. Our life corresponds to that. The indicative 
the facts of who you are and what you are is followed by the imperative. What we do because of being sons and daughters of God. We don't just sit back and bask in sonship. But we seek to do what the Lord has called us to do. So that's the first point. The second point, and, and it's more of an emphasis now of what we've been raised from. As you look at verses 5 through 11, he gives us two lists there. He says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. In a sense, what you see is that our lives are the outworking of who we are. The imperative defines what our calling is, our job description. So when he tells us to keep seeking those things above, he reminds us like in Matthew 6, where Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But understand it's more than a charge. It is that the blindness has been taken out of our eyes. We have stepped out of the darkness into the light, and we can see clearly now the direction and the path in which we're to follow. 23rd Psalm talks about that path too. We'll talk about that some tonight. But you see, we, we have a, an avenue now that we travel upon. It's clearly defined. And there's things that we have turned away from. There's things that we leave behind and that which we go toward. And because our lives are hidden with Christ in God, it means actually that there's a supernatural nature about the life that you and I can live because you and I can do things now that those who are rebelling and protesting against the sovereignty of God and the purpose of God and the creation of God cannot do. Those who are protesting in some churches, and I was thinking, I had thought earlier, yesterday, wow, I wonder if we'll have any protesters here. But I thought as I sat here this morning, I wish there were some. I wish they could hear you sing the praises of God. I wish they could see you in worship of God and hear the word. Unfortunately, they're probably going to some churches where they're not going to hear much of that. But we're going to focus on Christ. And that's what those poor, blinded, dead, spiritually dead people need is to hear and see Christ. Maybe they'll come next week when I'm gone. But there's a supernatural character to our lives because the Holy Spirit, the, the, the Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in us. And is at work in us. Your life is in God. It is God who is at work in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. That's why he says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body dead to sin. When he says, consider... Uh, the sense of what's in this verse is put it to death. Stop it completely. It's dead. So bury it. You look at that list. 
the parts of your person that would respond in worship to those practices. Get rid of it. Cut it off. That list that you see there, in a sense, all of it is a kind of idolatry. And it goes from, shall we say, the more complex, the immorality, down down just to this idea of greed. But it's idolatry because it is a worship of self. It is a desire to gratify oneself and to fulfill that. And the... And what you see then is the person worshiping themselves. Adultery, fornication, living together unmarried, whether it be for a night or for years. This is self-idolatry, perversion. All of that is idolatry. The pornography, all of these are forms of self-worship. And on account of these things, the wrath of God will come. You, You can see it like you've seen fires in the mountains up there. And you don't go up to watch the place burn. You evacuate. You turn away from it. You get away from it. And if you've got loved ones in it, you call them out of it, don't you? You don't leave them there. And it's just so in these kinds of things. Verse 7. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Now, Paul's writing to the church at Colossae. Uh, They must have been a pretty colorful group. We know the church at Corinth was. Ephesus had its own interesting things. And we could say, well... You know, pastor, that's, that, the, those things don't identify. But you know what? It is possible that almost everyone here has vicariously done these things at one point or another, whether it be on the Internet or TV, the movies or whatever, sometimes the novels. We have the ability in our heart to do any of this and in our thoughts. And it is God's grace that hedges us out and keeps us around. So we need to put even those things that never have been expressed in our bodies, we need to put them out of our minds too. Then look at verse 8. It's another list, but it's actually a list of the fruit that comes from your self-worship. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. The first list really shows the attitudes and some of the actions. But what you see then is somebody starts to threaten our idols, we respond with that second list. You've had that experience driving, haven't you? Somebody is going too slow and you're running late, your own fault. Or they cut you off. And uh, there's all kinds of places where we see that. Or somebody just intrudes upon your space and the, the quiet that you've got and disturbs you and 
We come back to maybe that one that we love and that we have committed our lives to, and we give them a sharp reply. And he says, put these things aside. This, this is the fruit of worshiping yourself. This is the way we act. As you look at verses 9 and 10, this is what happens when we are born again. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. That's the repentance that God grants us. And have put on the new self, which, who is being renewed to a true knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him. The practices... You don't just seek to stop those practices of the old man. Because those things are like the roots. I have some weeds in my yard. Maybe the plant is this high. But the root, the taproot goes down like that. And that is the way it is for some of our sins. And maybe they're only this high. But that taproot goes back years. And we need to root it out. We've... We don't just seek to stop those things and to act nice. But we deal with the desire. We deal with what we worship, what we love. And when we do that, when you love the Lord Jesus Christ, then those practices start to go away. There was a Puritan pastor in the very last sermon that he ever preached before he died. He, he hit a bunch of things, but one of the key points that he said to them, he said, it's not the catastrophes that are sinful, you know, the diseases, the, the plagues, the storms, even the wars, although those involved in them may be. He said, it is the lie that's sinful. That lustful look, or thought, the bitterness that maybe you hold towards someone, those are sufficient for hell's eternal fire. Billy Graham said, I, I heard this this morning, I was reminded of, I heard it before. The greatest problem that you and I will face is sin. S-I-N. And it starts here. I'll read said in that southern accent. That's where it starts. It starts in our hearts. And God says that he gives us a new heart. He renews us. He makes us different. And the implication is, and what he is making us in Christ is superior. It's better. It's more than just a change of behavior. It's a change of heart. You've taken out a bad engine. You've put in a good one. And he is the power in it. You have a true knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Not a false knowledge like across the street. Interesting resource. An aside, a note. Ligonier has a new little book called The Field Guide to False Religions. Get it and stick it in your high schoolers and college students' hands. Read it yourself. Now, the implication is 
from this is that we, that what God is doing is better. And the more we know Christ, the more Christ-like you are going to be in the relationships with the people around you. The more time you spend in the word, internalizing it, the more likely, the, the more those around you will benefit from knowing you. Those who meet you, they're going to see something. This sort of parallels Romans 12, where, you know, in verse 2, do not be conformed to, the, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and perfect. Think about your life proving God's will and those around you benefiting from that. Think about the armor of God that you put on. You know, if you look at some of the suits of armor uh, in Scotland and England, if you could, or in a museum, you can imagine putting on one of those and the limitations they would put upon you. Uh, you, you couldn't run any dashes. You certainly wouldn't run any marathons. Uh, you, you couldn't even do a bend and reach very well. But that's good. The armor protects you, and it's built so that what you do will serve the purpose that you need. The armor of God is just that way. It's not going to help you or protect you if you're seeking to do the things that are contrary to the armor. But it will guard you and help you to be doing what God wants you to be doing, to be focused on what God wants. Realize you are made in the image of God to bear his image. Not just for him, but for those around you. You've had those experiences of delightful fellowship in this church. Of people really rejoicing in the Lord. And you come away from that lifted up and strengthened. Because of the love of Christ that is evident in you. And to emphasize this, and I realized, and I, don't, I, I knew it, but I just didn't put it together. <clears throat> Paul describes the, the change that is seen here in verse 11. He says, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythic, and slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. He makes a similar statement in Ephesians 2. And a similar statement in Galatians. Three times Paul emphasizes this in his letters. That before God, there's not a distinction of gender as being a recipient of grace, that we are all in Christ. There's no distinction on skin color. There's no distinction on cultural heritage. Our identity is Christ, not being Irish or Italian, not being white or black, but our distinction is that we are in Christ. And this is what 
we are called to gather on. And then my third point, raised up to. You look at verses 12 through 17. You have this, this statement then and this, this prodding forward and, and you get another imperative. You get more of them. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. And he goes through this list, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint, just as the Lord forgave you. These are the fruits of abiding in Christ. Is somebody really, are you really grumpy at times? Let a little alarm go off and tell you, wow, it must be a while since I've spent some time with the Lord. When you come out of your devotional times, you shouldn't be grumpy. You shouldn't be irritated because somebody wants you to do something. Indeed, if we are thinking in terms of counting one another's needs as more important than our own, we should say, thank you. My wife's not here to hear this, but uh, we should say thank you. I do try to practice it. As the elect. And notice the context. Notice what he says about you. Holy. You are holy in Christ. And you're beloved of God. Because God's at work in you. And then in verse 14, beyond all these things are over and above this. Put on love. Love is the glue. That love of Christ is honestly the glue, the foundation of our loving one another and forgiving one another. If you're having a hard time loving a brother or sister, you're probably having a hard time loving Christ. Very honestly, your focus is wrong. When I have a hard time loving brothers or sisters, it's usually because my focus is back on some of my idols, not on him. It is that love of Christ working out through us. As you look at verses 15 to 17, you see the product of this putting to death the old man, putting on the new, of letting love be the bond. Look at what he says. It's an imperative again. So it's actually something that you have to do with. He says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Think about that for a moment. You're not just waiting for some warm, fuzzy feeling. It is as you look at the world in turmoil around you, your circumstances in turmoil, that you de determinedly, you decidedly, intentionally turn to the Lord and you let his sovereignty and his peace rule in your hearts. Bring you a calm because he is in control. And notice, he says, to which indeed you were called in one body, and then give thanks, be thankful. How do you do this? Further, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you 
within you richly. Meditate on it. Memorize it if you can. Chew on it. So that you're thinking in those terms. I'm lazy. And it's easier not to deal with things that I don't have to memorize. That's why I have two pages of passwords. That's our society. But I should give that much time to memorizing the scripture. And you know what? Something that will help you on that? If you share what you're working on with others, that helps make it more concrete in your thinking. With all wisdom, here's, and this is what you do with what you're internalizing. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness. And whatever you do in word or deed, in other words, whatever you do, let it be intentional, all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him. All that you and I do should be as representatives of him. Do it on purpose. Do it with a joy. In a sense, you put the needs of others ahead of your own so that God won't be the only one that sees you in Christ. Or I come back to this, this initial thought. Do those who know me see the value of my religion? Do those who know you see the value of it so they might even ask you, do they have any use for the faith that we hold? And then for Mother's Day, Paul's immediate application for memorializing for those whose mothers are gone or honoring the mothers it starts with you ladies first. Wives, be subject to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. In other words, serve the Lord Jesus Christ in your family, in your marriage. That's a way you can honor your mother. You seek to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Husbands, buy her them some flowers. Love your wives and do not be embittered against them. And we know from Ephesians that, that loving your wives is loving them as Christ loved the church, loves you. You can't honor the mother of your children any better than doing that. You can't honor your mother any better than loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Kids, Yes, you see the verse. Be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. I can tell you, to see your children, as a parent, to see your children love the Lord and seeking to live for him is the greatest reward. And it is the greatest heartbreak to see them rebel and abandon him.
Kids, do you want to honor your mothers? Love the Lord Jesus Christ and honor him through your parents. How do we take the message of light to those that are railing in darkness? We live in Christ on purpose. And you have the Holy Spirit who not only seals you, but is working in you to do that. Let's pray. Dear Father, we need this. We need to see it firsthand. We need to understand, Lord, show us where we must, where we should have and need to put to death those roots from the past, those bonds which try to hold us that you have broken. And sometimes we return to them. Let us, let us, Lord, indeed bury those and to cut off all of the fruit. And Father, then, indeed, in your grace, let us put on that new man, put on that armor, that we may be your servant and our master proclaim, and that the fruit of our lives would bless those around us and give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen.